Hi, this is Daniel Headley, and welcome to Six Feet Apart, a production of Cloud and Bridge and a ministry of Heights Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Today, I'm interviewing Nancy Becker, longtime member of Heights Church and a good friend of Cloud and Bridge. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Daniel. It's great to be here with you. great to have you. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm excited to interview you. Uh, I have a heart for missions. You may or may not know that I'm uh, the missions committee chair for our denomination, uh, our presbytery. And well, so, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, this is a soft spot for me. So I'm excited to talk to you. Nancy, you've spent 25 years uh, out, of, out of this country in Asia doing missions work. And so I would love to hear about, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about how that how that happened, you know, that, that initial call and how you ended up where you ended up and then how that story evolved and then how you, how you decided to come back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's such a good story. I, I love my life story and I'm grateful for it. Um, but I, I believe my first call was, uh, or a very strong call to my life was on a bed in um, Austria. And I was, um, <clears throat> I had been overseas in Europe for a, a short-term mission trip and uh, was challenged to give my life to the Lord for, for a lifetime of service. And um, so that night I couldn't sleep at all. And I just had a conversation with God about that. And I remember, you know, telling him, I don't have much to offer you. And I remember him saying, I'm, I'm in charge of your life and I love you and I, I have a wonderful plan for your life. And so I feel like that's when, when I really became committed to doing what God would ask of me. In, in Austria, short-term mission trip, how old were you? I was just out of college. I just graduated. So we were in Austria, but my short-term mission trip was actually in the country of Yugoslavia, oh, okay. which, which is actually no more. Yeah. But it, it was a beautiful country, and now it's several beautiful countries. But uh, God really used that summer in my life. Wow. What did you study in college? I studied child development, early childhood development. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. All right. So, so you got this, the God spoke to you and said, okay, no, we're going to, you know, this is going to happen. So then what happened? Yeah. So then I came back to the States and <clears throat> I really thought I was called to Eastern Europe at that time. And so began pursuing that and ended up going to Wheaton grad school. They had a program in Eastern European history and missions. And so went to Wheaton, but while I was there, I started um, serving in a Chinese church uh, a church filled with people from Hong Kong. And so uh, just really got excited for Asia. And uh, so then I, I began thinking about the denomination, the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination, and knew that we had churches in Hong Kong. And so ended up writing them a letter and uh, just saying, you know, this is my story right now. I feel God's calling me. I don't really know where. Is there any way would you see any use of me in your ministry there in Hong Kong? And they wrote back and said, we'd love for you to come and uh, teach some English classes in the oh. community to do outreach in the community there for the churches. And so I signed on for that and did a two-year stint, and it turned into six years in Hong Kong. <laughs> wow. Now, did, did you cut your training at Wheaton Short, or did you finish there? I finished. Okay. Yeah, it was a grad degree for a year uh, just on missions. 
Oh, and, good. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so you went out to Hong Kong, six years passed by mm -hmm. teaching English. Yeah. And, and what was so exciting about that, that was one, I was one of the first, at that time we called it fraternal missions worker. And uh, <clears throat> the denominations fully supported me in that process. And as well as Heights and Del Cristo Presbytery. And so um, it was an exciting time where there were lots of others going out at the same time. And, um, but over the years then, um, as my life transitioned and the ministry of the Cumberland Presbyterian Missions Board changed, um, that changed. But at the time, I was fully supported by the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and it was awesome. Wow. And how long did that last? That, that first, that six-year? Yeah, that, um, well, so... Um, I guess I guess I had to get the, my own support, but it came through the denominational churches. Um, but uh, that probably, I think that lasted about ten years. Because after Hong Kong, I moved to other places. Yeah. Okay. So what caused that transition from Hong Kong to the next the next phase? Was it some yeah. a different type of ministry you're going to do? Yeah. So I was in Hong Kong and. Um, just loved my work there, loved working with the churches. I was teaching English. I was teaching English to kindergartners and to high school students and middle school students and summer English camps. And just, it was a very fruitful ministry. The Lord really used it. And uh, the, the workers in the church would meet my students and their families and draw them into the church. And it was just a really neat time where the Lord really built some of the churches in Hong Kong. Wonderful. At the time, I was feeling a little bit lonely because I was not working with any other teammates as far as other teammates of Americans. And uh, but as I lived there, there were many people that came uh, from China for different reasons, other missionaries. And so I got to know about the work in China. And so then um, I asked the Lord to to if if it was OK for me to transition uh, into China. <clears throat> ah, okay. Yeah. So that was phase two for you. Yes. And that lasted, uh, how long was that? Well, that was about, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, looking back on my, my time overseas, I spent probably five to six years in different locations. So every five or six years, I felt like the Lord was moving me to something a little bit different, a little bit same and um, so, yeah, so I moved in to China for about six years, and then I moved out to Singapore for five years. And um, so those were the different transitions that I was going through. But so it, te teaching English can, wherever you went, yeah, is that the primary English, thing? Or um, I was uh, a student studying a language, or I, um, yeah, and, and so the Lord kept this all together. It was all for the sake of the ministry in different parts of different locations, yeah. So looking back on some of the high points throughout your, your time in Asia, what, what would you say the things are that really stand out to you? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think I already mentioned the one about Hong Kong, but I just felt like, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing and I just wanted to be used by the Lord. And, and the Lord really blessed the work and blessed my relationships with the other Hong Kong Christians. And this is a really sweet time to be with them and to see um, him reach out to the community. So that was a real highlight. I loved working with, you know, I 
with the kindergartners, but I also had an elderly or middle-aged English class in my home and just love those relationships. So that was a real highlight for me. Do you feel like you saw cultural shifts while you were there? Uh, <clears throat> do you mean like in the Hong Kong culture? Yeah. Or uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, well, so when I was there, it was under British rule. Um, and so there was probably more freedom and more availability of different ideas and willingness to try new ideas and, um, and just an excitement for the gospel. But, you know, over time, uh, they, they actually got, in 1997, went back to the rule of China. And so um, things are changing. And, you know, currently you can see the difficulties that Hong Kong folks are having now. Yeah. So when you think back on that time, um, what were some of the takeaways that you feel like you brought back with you? And, 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 uh, and I guess I should say that's kind of a multi-pronged question. Mm -hmm. In coming back to America, you know, what were some of the things that you saw differently in the USA? And then what were some of the things that you learned that you now, that you feel like changed the type of person you were? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I lived in several different cities and I felt like each city in my overseas life really changed me for different reasons. Um, one, one city I lived in was Singapore and that city has so many different cultures. And I just really loved the diversity of the culture. And I love the diversity, you know, I lived a few blocks from, um, the main place where a lot of Indians lived and I loved getting to know them. And I know there was a Chinatown and there's just all these different uh, folks living together. And it was just so fun to be part of a church that had all these different nationalities and worshiping together. And so um, that was one thing that really, you know, became a part of my life living overseas was just living with a lot of different um people around me and from different countries and it was beautiful and I loved that and and so coming back to Albuquerque New Mexico um, has been a, a little bit different on that front for me the homogeneity of it you yeah. feel like you see yeah 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 I'm in the neighborhood in which I grew up and you know it it really is just a very um, <laughs> I don't know even know how to describe it but it's very similar to my family and I and so I feel like it's missing a part of the world <laughs> so and in a way though you bring that with you when you come back and so how have you seen you know people don't obviously when people meet you they would never guess you know upon no. meeting you that you have no. the background you have no. you know have you found that you've had opportunities to share some of your experiences or share different oh, perspectives yes. yeah i you know it's just my heart if we're in a room full of people my heart's going to go out to people from around the world and so even at my school there's so many people from outside of america and i just i love talking to them. I love meeting them and I want to know all about their home country. I talk to my students about their home country and just, you know, even when I'm on playground duty, I'm talking to those students. It's just a part of my life. So I love that. About I'm sure it's important to them because it makes them feel welcome. Yes. Yes. 
yeah, you know, even um, our school hosts these balloon um, glows, or I forgot what it's called, but, uh, you know, right before the balloon fiesta, we have a balloon come to our school and get launched at, you know, the Friday before, and, you know, some of those folks come, and they have never seen this, and I'm just so excited to tell them all about it, and they're so, you know, but I just find that nobody else is really talking to them, and that breaks my heart, you know, and so, um, I think that that's definitely a way that I've been changed is that I gravitate towards people from other parts of the world and just want to know their stories. How do you feel being, uh, you know, having lived overseas and done the work you've done there, how has it changed your sensitivity to others? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think God has given me a gift of discernment or a gift of, trying to understand what people are from but i feel like my my 25 years or whatever overseas has really allowed me to communicate better so um you know when i have to go into a class at college of um you know some chinese college students and talking to them i i need to talk slower I need to talk more intently with them. I need to show eye contact with them. And I need to really try to figure out what they're going to say because their English isn't perfect. And so sometimes I think maybe Americans get, you know, have difficulty trying to understand people. And when they get frustrated and embarrassed, they just want to quit. But I think what I've learned is it just takes some time to understand what somebody's saying to you and what they're trying to communicate and their needs they're trying to communicate. So, um, yeah, I think God really developed that over time. Now, I'm just curious, though, too, you know, you're, as you're talking, right, you've talked about how this, you've, God has made you more sensitive to folks from other countries. Mm -hmm. How has this affected how you communicate to Americans, your overseas experience? Or how you communicate with Americans? You know, what yeah. is it, the things that yeah. you see and, you know, how do you feel you see the world differently now than, yeah. than, when, than when you left? You know, what has yeah. changed? You know, it probably depends on who I'm talking to, but I would probably, my first response to that would, might be that, um, I don't talk about it because I think it's a part of my life that is so radically different than most people in America that they just kind of don't understand it. You know, like my coworkers, I just, I don't, you know, the other day, this is funny in, our, in one of our zoom meetings for a staff meeting, they, they put up a world and they put, gave everybody post-it notes notes and wanted people to write a you know their name on what where they want to travel next when we can you know and I just left mine in um <laughs> I just left mine in America because I feel like I just do want to stay in America but but I everybody you know when people put it to all these different parts of the world I was just like gosh I've been there I've been there I've been there. I know people from there. I, you know, and I just felt so blessed that God has done that for me. And so, but it, it's a real weird thing to people, you know, wow, you've lived 25 years overseas. You know, I, I think a lot of people can't fathom that. And they, they kind of either, you know, <laughs> put me on a pedestal and go, wow, I could never do that. Or they just kind of think I'm crazy. And <laughs> walk away, you know? So, um, I, 
I probably need to get better about sharing it, but I think, you know, we're busy and we don't really necessarily talk about our own lives very much. <laughs> I guess if, um, if you were, if you were to kind of direct the conversation, you know, what would you want to talk to, talk to people about when it comes to living overseas? You know, what kind of things would you want to share? Yeah. Um, I guess something that's pretty critical right now is that I would want people to know that those are real people and they have real families, they have real parents, um, they have real dreams um, and they're beautiful people and kind hearted and loving. And I've been so blessed by their hospitality and their kindness and their love. And, and yet when I'm here in America, I hear stories of uh, just really, really, you know, wrong things of Americans um, being mean to people from overseas. And um, so I would just, yeah, I would ask that we'd be a little kinder to people that come from the world. You know, I have a very good friend who has a Japanese background and she told us the other day that she's, um, she's single and she's fearful to take a two hour drive to go to another friend's wedding because she just doesn't know what could happen to her, you know, because there are a lot of people that are getting hurt or yelled at or spit upon or, you know, they're getting the blame for what's going on in America now. And I understand that governments are governments, you know, but people are real people and they have a story and um, they have a background and we cannot judge. Um, they really should not judge. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's something that uh, I think you're right. I think, especially here, a lot of us aren't aware of some of those challenges that are unique to people from uh, where's this friend? You said Japan, um, yeah. you know, right. Because we have blaming going on and people, yeah. um, they, they, people don't know. They think she's Chinese or they, it, it doesn't well, even, matter. Even if what, she was Chinese. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're right. And she, 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 yeah, certainly she did not create this virus. No. So, and, and she was, she was born and raised in America too. So, you know, um, not that that is any better either, but it just, it our country is in a very strange place now. And it's, you know, they're having, they're creating organizations now for Asians to find refuge or, you know, other people of the world to find refuge because Americans are being mean. And, oh my goodness. And so, um, you know, it, it's, yeah. It's just the country that we live in, and, and I think we do need to make changes. <laughs> it's a great reminder that, uh, you know, when we, think about, when we think about things like, you know, how do we, if we ask ourselves a question, you know, like, how do I respond to this, or what do I do? You know, I think maybe, maybe a lot of people aren't saying, I need to be very kind to those around me. And, and, you know, right now that's kind of a popular thing, right? The whole kindness thing. But I think right now, actually right now we're kind of forgetting it. Like you're saying, um, the, the, in, in the, in recent several years, kindness has become a kind of a popular uh, thing to talk about. Or yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, when people get fearful, uh, yeah. it, kindness starts to fall away pretty quickly. Right. It's, it's hard to be kind when we're afraid. And I think, but I think 
when yes. you, when we ask like, what can the church do? Which are what what I hear you saying is, you know, we could be kind to people um, around us, especially people from other places who, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you think about immigrants living here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of them are here without their families. Yes. Right. Yes. And they have families in other countries who uh, sometimes don't have the same resources we have to be safe or get medical care. And right. so this is a very fearful time for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm just curious, um, in coming back to America initially, mm-hmm. how long has it been since you've been back, Nancy? Yeah, it'll be five years in October. <laughs> right. And, and so what initiated that return? Well, um, you know, I'd been overseas for quite a while. And so in my mind, I was thinking um, that God would be calling me home just to spend more time with my parents. And so I began to think through what that would look like, you know, a couple years before I did return. And so just going through that, um, God had way bigger and different plans for me. Um, but at that point in time, I was working uh, in different foster homes and uh, helping to serve those that uh, were maybe lost in society over in, over there. And so um, as I began doing that, I felt like that could be sort of my last hurrah is to help help those uh, in the church over there understand what it means to love outside of your church or outside of your family. And so my, my dream for those last few years over there was to um, help the church understand orphans. And so I began a ministry of taking my friends to visit orphans and to love on orphans and to just try to help them see that God loved those who society had discarded. And so as I did that, um, I felt God's call on my own life to adopt. And so that's the point of when I really realized I needed to be coming back to America for her sake and to help her um, on the path to healing and to growth and good development. So, How old was Ellie Rose when you adopted her? She was, um, she was five. Yeah. We had to, I won't go into this now, but we had to change her age because it wasn't correct um, based on opinions of doctors. So yeah, that um, happens a lot actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I brought her home when she was five and she's, she turned 10 in March. And so, yeah. Wonderful. And she's a wonderful little girl. <laughs> and so basically this, you know, God led you down this path of caring for those who need in, in our society and who most need our care. Yeah. And then God had you open your, your life and change your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I never, um, obviously I, I'm not married. Uh, and so really never gave, uh, having my own children a, a second thought and I and I just really was really trying to help other families understand the beautiful uh, situation that adoption is and um, in praying one day I just felt God specifically say you could adopt 
and I just was like stunned. And um, my heart actually took a leap. My mind said no, but my heart took a leap. And I, my heart was saying, God, do you really think I could be a parent? And so, um, but the next day after that, I, I really made a list of pros and cons. And I just said, Lord, there's so many things that this is a silly, silly, silly decision in the eyes of the world. Um, and yet I felt God say, I've got this. And uh, I think he really has for the last five years. I'll give testimony that he does have this. He's taken care of doctors. He's taken care of my job. He's taken care of our living. He's taken care of a beautiful home in Heights Church to take care of us, um, really. So when God challenges us to something, he is faithful and he will provide what we need. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it sounds, I, I mean, I, th- I feel like you had mentioned this before that coming back to the U.S. was really more about coming back as a parent than it was anything else for you. Yeah. So I'm not sure I ever went through cultural transition or, you know, uh, anything upon that. I think I was just so overwhelmed being a parent um, and, and uh, trying to get adjusted in that regard that I, I don't think that I had a lot of culture shock and and even for the most part, you know, when I went overseas many, many years ago, I think God protected me from that. I, you know, I know the stages of culture shock and I know the stages of how that all works because I've seen it in other people. But, you know, God just gave, God blessed me with a, just a, an ease of, you know, fitting into a situation that's new to me, you know, and, um, he was with me and yeah, I just felt like God has been in charge of my whole life and it's been awesome. <laughs> now, how has it been to transition from this, a role where you where your identity doing ministry was maybe more well-defined than it is now? Yeah. Um, yeah. So because it's been 25 years, you know, I, I haven't really, when I came back, I hadn't really done ministry in the state, so I, it wasn't like I was returning to something that I knew. Um, and so when I came back, it was more just like, what, what do you have for me now, God? And just trying to figure that out. And so um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah, you're living in the moment, it sounds like. And you're yeah, yeah, definitely. Where you are. And, you know, I, I can't sit still. <laughs> And my parents always want me to sit still, but um, I, I'm a person that likes to be active. And so, you know, I really love the idea of Operation Christmas Child and the shoeboxes going to children around the world. And I just thought that is something that I can do and that Ellie can help me do. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I took off on that and I hope that's, I feel like it's blessing the children of the world and, and the churches of the world and, of our congregation as well, that we can all have a part in that. So that's sort of one one area that I've uh, attached myself to coming back. It's, it's, so you're the primary coordinator for that? Yes, yeah. Now you're also an elder at Heights Church. Yes, yes, I but am. Talk to me about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been good. Um, I, um, I'll be going off on the in December. And so it'll be a three-year term. And uh, 
really have enjoyed each each year has been a little bit different because there's been different people on on the board and so i've really enjoyed that and um i've learned i've had to learn quite a bit um you know overseas uh, ministry is very different than church life and church functioning. I was trying to think of the name of this this morning, but you know, our church is under a, um, you would know this because you're ordained and you, <laughs> you've gone through the whole process, but uh, the structure of leadership uh -huh. is very strong in our church. Yeah. I don't know That's a Presbyterian do. structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so even in our meetings, there's a lot of formality. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. It's very formal. And overseas is a lot more informal. <laughs> so it's been good for me to learn and um, observe that and understand that about our church. Yeah, the Roberts rules things are a funny thing. It's so many, <laughs> so many churches use Roberts rules. And uh, I go back and forth on it, right? It's something that you know, the denomination, of course, our denomination uses, and it's not the only one so common, yeah. but um, I often wonder, you know, wow, that's a lot of structure. Um, <laughs> you know, the the church globally certainly often doesn't use uh, uh, th that kind of structure, no. but it does, it does, you know, lend to um, shorter meetings often. And, <laughs> you know, that's true. You know we, we tend to be a little overwhelmed for time in this country, so I, it could be as much for that reason as for others. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, I know certainly that type of structure, you know, I think missionaries, uh, I think when I think of missionaries, I think of people who have to learn to be flexible if they're going to survive. Mm. Yeah. yeah. How did that, how did that play out for you? This idea, because it sounds like you, since you were young, have been ready to respond to God's call on your life. Is that something that was, that took training to be able to do? Was that fearful at first or yeah. have you always felt a confidence in that? You know, I think one of the things my parents really instilled in me is just their their outlook on the world and their friendships of people in the world. And they're very generous with their time and um, relationships. And I think I just felt a real comfort of being around new people and new places. And so I think that really helped me a lot. Um, but as far as being flexible, I, I guess that would, I mean, one of the things you were you asked me about highs and lows. And so I think one of the low parts would be a difficulty of, yeah, the, the situation in the country you're living. So for the big country that I lived in was a lot of visa issues and a lot of regulations and um, housing was quite difficult. Often missionaries would have to move every year because their landlord didn't work out or, you know, this is probably around the world problem for missionaries, but just being flexible and willing to, um, you know, pick up your stuff and move uh, because that's the, what the situation called for. And um, so that, you know, as a single person, that was okay. But uh, I've just been witnessing a lot of families having to do that. And I think that's just a real it, it's a hard point, but it's a place where missionaries can learn to trust God too, you know, because missionaries aren't perfect. And there's lots of places in our lives where we need God to teach us. And I was just thinking about a lot of my friends right now because they actually left China in, um, in January because it was Chinese New Year and they were going on vacation and they couldn't return. And so these are families with lots of kids. And so they hung out on their vacation spot for 
several weeks, maybe months. And then it was decided they couldn't go back to their country where they had all their home and their stuff and their homeschooling mm -hmm. stuff and everything. And so now they're back in America. And so it just, for them, you know, and then they're here and they're trying to find housing. They find, you know, two two weeks in this house and then two weeks in that house. And oh, wow. I'm just so proud of them that they they feel God's terrific call in their lives and they're just trusting God for every day. So um, you're right. Missionaries have to be flexible. And I'm proud of my friends that are doing that right now because of this worldwide situation. One of the things that I often think about um, when I think about the, you know, it's just the very idea of the term missionary. So, yeah. so for you, um, yeah. where do you see the mission field in this country? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not super com comfortable with the term missionary either. You know, um, I, I, it's the word that's been around and it's the word that we go to the world with, but I feel like, in many respects, it's actually just a lot more simple and it's God's spirit going into the world, you know, and where, where can we send the love of God and where can we take the love of God? And so I'm sure that's in many places, you know, uh, in our country today and, you know, the hospitals being one of them. And then, you know, families who have to homeschool and, and also worry about their jobs. I think all of those need a certain amount of compassion. And I think that the more we show God's love, the, the mission of God will be continued. So if you were to meet a young person today who was saying, or even not, maybe not just a young person, but any person today who's mm -hmm. saying, um, mm -hmm. I feel like God is calling me to missions. How would you respond to that statement? <laughs> I'd be super excited. I'd be super excited that that person had that desire, but I would also be like, oh, you're in for a wild ride. <laughs> um, because God, it is a training ground for your relationship with the Lord, you know, and are you going to trust him and what he wants to do with your life? And, um, but as far as um, directing them, yeah, I might, you know, I might say, you know, the world is at our doorstep. Uh, my my school has many many families that have just come from you know um, Kenya and and um, Gambia and different locations that you know uh, Vietnam um, you know from all different parts of the world and um, you know they're here so can we encourage them can we love them here and um, you know that's why I love the international student fellowships. I, I always thought that'd be where I would be when I landed in America is just on the college campus with the international students. But, you know, because I have a third grader, <laughs> that hasn't happened. <laughs> but even in our elementary school, there's families there that I can reach out to and love from around the world. And, and in a, in a, strange sort of way people coming here you know a lot of those families are already strong believers and you know one of my students was challenging me to come to his church <laughs> and so i think you know it's the reverse uh people are coming to america to to tell people about god <laughs> yeah and so and so what do we tell americans about god right i mean this is the place where god has placed 
this community. So how does Cloud and Bridge function as a mission to, in Albuquerque? Yeah, yeah. Heights Church, how do we do that? Yeah, and I think it's what Cloud and Bridge has been doing is just extending a hand to them. You're, you're telling people you're valuable. We want to hear you. We see you. We want you to be a part of our community. How can we help you? Um, yeah, to be where, you know, be available to people. And I think that that's a, a primary focus of Cloud and Bridge. Now, how do we challenge Americans to, for the kingdom's sake? What do you think? You mean already believers? No, I mean Americans. Non-believers, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. believers too, both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's in good conversations. So what's going on now about, you know, people are going to have a lot of needs. And so um, I think it's going to be challenging them. Have they thought about what the meaning of their life is? And have they thought about how, um, you know, is there life outside of themselves? <laughs> and um, yeah, have those conversations with them. Yeah. I think, you know, what you're pointing to here is that sometimes we Americans tend to think we're the center of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my professors who I love uh, taught a class in Guatemala every year. And I was really thankful to be able to go on the, and take the class there. It was uh, philosophical hermeneutics, and he taught it at a seminary in Guatemala. Uh huh. And so he took a group of students from the U.S. from Denver Seminary, and then he uh, taught the class. He brought the students from Denver Seminary in, and merged the class with a uh, with students from Guatemala. Wow. And he always had a rule, and his rule was that that he would never teach the class if there weren't more Guatemalans than Americans, because Americans take over the room. Oh. And then the thing he would do was, because he taught the class bilingual, he would always open the class in Spanish. He would teach, he would introduce every idea or concept uh, in Spanish first. Uh -huh. So the Americans had to wait yeah. to hear what was going to be said. Yeah. So they, they had to, it, had to, it was first taught to the Guatemalans, then it was translated for the Americans. And he always said less to the Americans than he said to the Guatemalans, if you actually, if you actually thought about word count. And I say yeah. all this because, you know, I have this engineer's brain, so I'm always doing, I'm always listening. I'm, I'm catching details like that. Because yeah. I, I pulled him aside one day and I said, hey, I noticed you say like three quarters as many words in English as you do in Spanish. And he said, yeah. And I said, I said, is that intentional? He said, yes. Yeah. I said, why is that? He said, he said, part of what these Americans are learning is that they're not the center of the world. Mm, he, yeah. said, he said, that's part of, part of the lesson that we're getting here, yeah. is that as we think about seeing the world through the eyes of others, recognizing that the eyes of others have equal weight yeah. as prone, yeah. and in some cases may have a better take on a situation than we do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and our, our work over in Asia really was, we had, off, we had some really good leaders that pointed us in that direction. And our point was not to just continuously live there between now and eternity, but our point was where, where can we um, raise up leadership and then step aside and get out of the way? 
you know. And so um, for various reasons that has happened and it's currently happening and um, it's exciting. It, it takes a different path, but it's more culturally attuned and it gives a voice to, you know, non-Americans. <laughs> well, and that's actually something that we should do wherever we are. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something Americans should be doing in our own country. Yes. Right. There sometimes sometimes it's hard for people to retire and trust the next generation yeah. uh, to lead. Right. Um, well, and think, it's hard to um, encourage those that haven't had a voice to speak up, you know, because they're used to not speaking up. And so it t- takes a lot. I've been in leadership meetings with with stuff like that, and it takes a lot to for Americans to shut up <laughs> and um, to ask good questions and then be good listeners. And so lots of um, issues for leadership development in that realm. Yeah. One thing I've noticed, cause you know, even though I was, I wasn't born in this country, I grew up here. So I'm very American uh-huh. in the way I think. Yeah. Um, and one thing I've noticed is that, you know, it's when, I, when I'm working with someone from another culture, especially in this country, you know, when they, when they are out of their setting, yeah. it's, it's one thing to be willing to listen, but it's even, I think you have to go farther. You have to, you actually have to solicit. Mm-hmm. You, you have to, you have to ask. Yes. Right. Yes. And then yeah. some, and then sometimes. Get them to speak up. <laughs> you have to ask twice uh-huh. or you might even have to ask three times. Yes. Yes. Because yes. the first ask and for, for many people is kind of, you know, they might just interpret that as, oh, he's just being nice. He doesn't really care. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second ask is, no, I really do care. And, yeah. then that, and then that's where they think, maybe he really does care. And then the third ask is, no, I'm serious. I really want you to say something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really value your opinion. A lot of intentionality for sure. You know, and even like, I think culturally, you know, when somebody's visiting your home, you offer them water, you know, and they'll, they'll say no, but that's the polite way. You need to ask them like three or four times or just give them water, you know, whereas in America, we'd just be like, oh, they said no, you know, like, (laughs) but yeah, it's very similar. And um, you're right. It takes, it takes time and it takes a willingness and it takes, um, yeah, perseverance in doing that. But it's very important and critical for um, voices to be heard. As, as we bring this to a close, you know, I, I'd like to try to summarize these conversations a little bit, just to try to put some structure to it. And, yeah. um, and one of the things that you're I'm, an engineer, <laughs> I do, I am, I can't stop it. One of the <laughs> things that I'm hearing from you That's good. <laughs> is, uh, is that, you know, we need to listen better. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, to God mm-hmm. and to the people around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be sensitive. And I think as Americans, I'm hearing from you that, maybe it's harder for us to be sensitive than for some people from other cultures. And so maybe we need to try a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. And so, you know, as, as we, especially in this time that we're in this strange COVID time, you know, recognizing that everyone is experiencing this situation in a different way, Mm -hmm. right? Some people have lost loved ones. Some people have already been sick. Some people are waiting for the sickness to hit them at any moment. Uh, you know, some people are in jobs that are, that are risky. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so part of like taking this idea of listening to others and being compassionate is also just, you know, it's, it's not just listening. It's, it's looking, it's, it's, right. 
yeah. looking past ourselves yeah. at the world around us and, you know, what do we see and what's going on? And, you know, it's going to be even harder now that we all need to wear masks. It know, is. The smile, the mouth shows so much. And so I think we're, it's going to call us all to be kinder with our eyes and um, not as brusque and not as loud. With, I, I don't know. It's just going to be a new experience for all of us. And hopefully we will wear it well. You know, you know I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. It is going to cause us to maybe, like you said before, uh, communicate a little more slowly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Listen a little more carefully and look, look for the little cues that, you know, the grace. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because I read somewhere about, it was written by an African American and he was just like, I'm, I'm so, I'm having a hard time wearing a mask because when I wear a mask, I'm going to look, um, like I'm threatening Mm. and, he he just thinks, you know, Americans feel threatened, especially by my color and when I wear a mask. And so, you know, he he goes out, he, he was writing about how he goes to the store quickly and comes home. He feels very uncomfortable. And um and I think we're gonna just have to have a lot of grace for people. Um Yeah, you and, know, we're surrounded by cultural dynamics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the world is here at our doorsteps, people from different backgrounds and upbringing and people interpret things differently. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, sounds like you learned a lot about sen- sensitivity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Cultural sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. something we all need to learn a little more about. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh. Nancy. Oh, it's a, it's a delight to talk to you. <laughs> we could talk forever. Probably. <laughs> I know. I really appreciate you. Yeah. And I, I feel like uh, when, when I do get a chance to talk with you, I always feel like I want to talk to you more. Um, I do encourage people uh, when, when the time comes um, or uh, you know, if you're taking zoom calls <laughs> yeah, sure. to, uh, to spend some time to get to know Nancy better uh, hear about the things that God has put upon her heart and, as compassion for the powerless uh, in our country, all around the world, uh, children, um, immigrants, uh, people who are her parents, you know, elderly generation, people who are, are suffering, people who are lonely. There, there are, in so many ways, there are people all around us who are in need of God's love. And ultimately, we're in that list too. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe we need to think a little less about ourselves and, mm-hmm. and a bit more about others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Nancy, would you close us in prayer? Sure. God, we're so grateful that you love us. And um, thank you that we are valued in your eyes and we are known in you. And, um, Lord, thank you that you desire to have a relationship with each one of us. And so thank you for my so many years, Lord. And I am so grateful for my relationship with you. And um, thank you for the experiences you've given me. And thank you that you've opened my eyes to new and different things. And Lord, I just, I pray for uh, us as believers and for our church, Father, that we would um, go into these next few months and years, Lord, that we would love our neighbor and that we would um, 
even if our neighbors are wearing masks or they will be wearing masks, Lord, help us to continue to be a strong witness for you, Lord, loving them and um, calling out to them and saying hello to them. And um, wherever we go, Lord, may, may our hearts be in tune with your spirit and that you would use us in mighty ways for loving the people that are here in America. Lord, thanks for this time and just thanks for Cloud and Bridge. I pray that you would continue to use it in a mighty way in many people's lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Thank God bless you. you. Thanks. <laughs> have a good have a good day. Mm-hmm.